0: Hello, Glowworms, and welcome to yet another episode of The Vanity Project with me, Vanity Von Glow. Today, my conversation is with an artist who performs in the realm of drag. Um, Her name is Lavoie, and some of you will know her for competing in Britain's Got Talent here in the UK and also for being a contestant on the Queen of the Universe show on Paramount Plus. That's a show that hasn't aired yet here uh, in the global markets or in in the United Kingdom but will be airing, I gather, in the next couple of months. So we try not to spoil anything for you in this conversation. She's a singer, a comedian, she's red-haired and fabulous. This is my conversation with Lavoie. Here in London, my next guest won the drag idol competition probably around the time that I arrived in the city. So we're looking about nine or 10 years back. Um, and then went on to slightly higher profile talent shows, such as Britain's Got Talent, and she currently competes on the Queen of the Universe, which goes out all over the world on Paramount Plus when uh, when that launches globally. Uh, usually she can be found touring the UK and beyond with her Merry Band, a live music drag show, something of the Shirley Bassey to this artist. Um, I really admire her performances, her style, and I think she's a very focus-driven uh, drag uh, performance artist, which uh, is uh, somewhat rare in the field. So Lavois puts the wit of drag front and center. I can't wait to discuss uh, her work with her now. So please welcome my next guest, the fabulous Lavois. Ah,
3: oh, thank you, Dan. What a fabulous introduction.
0: Yes well it's, it's true people might not know but drag queens are often quite a messy cohort but you're always very um you you, you seem like you're as as skilled in the business side of, of being a performer as you are in the creative side.
3: I wish that was true um no there's I suppose for me um first of all thank you that's a massive compliment I, I really really do thank you for that uh, because it is very very hard to, not only work in the drag world, work in the performing world, but I think to work in the performing world as a drag queen is super hard. I think because you are judged, not only by your audience, but very much by your peers. I think the drag world can be a massively supportive community, but it also can be really bitter and really out there you know, for each other. And I think sometimes I've learned that the support of a professional theatre company, say doing pantomime is totally different to Backstage in a nightclub where everyone is rivaling for the the next gig or the next night, and and that's not to knock anyone. That I think that was my own experiences. I had a bit of a tough time in the pub and club world of being accepted because I think I've always been very ambitious and very driven, and I wanted to not settle in the bars. And I think sometimes that could be looked on as a who does she think she is or she thinks she's better than us. And and I really fought with that. And I there was never a part of that at all. I've just always wanted to work in theatre you know and and work singing for my supper and i think i was just driven by that and i think it's it's sad sometimes that people might not see that there is a a fun side and a vulnerable side to to la as well really
0: um yes people people listening might might not understand what what the day-to-day of what my work or what the work of a drag queen in a city like London is. And a lot of the gigs are indeed on the LGBT circuit, in the pubs, in the clubs. And actually it's really good fun. Like there's lots of fun to be had there, but you know I don't have a straightforward relationship with doing those types of gigs because they're not always very creatively rewarding. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're so ecstatic and they're really great. Um, And then sometimes uh, it's not the right context for what you're trying to do as a performer. Oh my
3: gosh,
0: 100%. And I think that's what what I saw you doing back when I would have first met you or first become aware of you around, you know, I think it was about nine years ago. I hadn't been in London long, but you were more interested in doing the traditional supper club, the traditional cafe de Paris style cabaret, where people sit at the little tables and they actually really pay attention to what's being said. you know, that's kind of. There's, that's that's. I'm I'm picturing like going back to Weimar Republic, the history of Cabaret all through the past century, um, Las Vegas, not just a, a gay bar in a corner of a of a regional mm-hmm. a, a, a region in the UK, but something where you know people come to be kind of dazzled. Uh,
3: totally, and I think what I learned very quickly in the, in the UK. Um, drag scene and and the gay bars and and all of that stuff and this is obviously just my experience I can't speak for everyone that I learned you'll have as you said you'll have these really creative ideas and I'll want to put this medley of voices together I want to do this real piece of visual comedy with a costume or something and it's it's wasted not because the audience aren't intelligent or want that but those places they go to to get drunk, have a good drink, dance, maybe pull somebody, you know, all of that stuff. And I think what I learned from the pub scene is that you, those people happen to be out and you happen to be on. They haven't come specifically to see you. Some of them might have, but it's very deluded, I think, sometimes in the bar circuit to think, oh, they've come to see me. And you're like, no, they've come because there's a drink offer on, because the, the bar down the road is kicked out and this is the only one that's open. They're on a date. So they will talk all the way through your set, if you're not lucky, so they're not listening, you know, they're, they're hammered. And they just want either good songs they can sing along to or banter, like, you know, get your bits out or you're hot or get a guy on stage and take his top off. And I was like, I really don't, not only did I not want to do that, but I didn't think I was very good at that. I need an audience that can listen to know if something's working. And there's some queens that can plow through 40 minutes with not one person listening, Not even one person looking at the stage and they will plow through. And that's not to say that that act isn't good. That's a hell of a skill, I think, to be able to just (laughs) plow through. I can't do it. I go, shut up, listen. And I get angry and I get bitter. And I know, um, great example, people who have been doing it years, like Lola Zagna, who I respect massively. I think I've I've seen her when I was doing RVT and, and the Black Cap days, get visually angry with an audience for not listening. And rightfully so in some of those settings, because, you, you know, you're all busting a gut up there. And but then you do want to step back and go, but it's two o'clock in the morning and we're in Vauxhall. You know, we can't wow. be doing Sondheim side by side and no one's yeah. listening, you know, so there's that fine line. So when I took the plunge to leave the bars and it was a plunge, I walked on stage at the RVT and I said, this is my last gig. And I didn't have a theater tour booked. I didn't have an income that would support it. It was an absolute risk. And I was on my knees financially for that first year no one needed to know that, but I was, and I wanted to make that leap. And I think all, all in my career, I've always been, I want the next thing, I want the next thing, because I, I believe that drag has a place commercially. I think it has a really strong political message. I think it has a really big entertainment message. And I just don't want to be doing what I was doing in the bars at the age of 50, 60. Again, not to knock it, but for me, I wanted more. Yeah, I, wanted I think- to take it further.
0: I, I've, I I definitely relate to that myself. I feel like I've made, I, um, there was a point about four years ago, four or five years ago, where I made a deliberate move out of a lot of those bars as well. And, um, you know, basically just stopped reaching out to, to you know, you sort of get in touch and say, right, what have you got from me over the next six months? What bookings yeah. can you get? And I stopped doing it because I kind of wanted to focus on working with musicians more. So I usually work with a piano player and I play piano a bit myself. So that suited me better. And then I found myself, I had a, I had a dramatic incident in my career that stalled my progress at that point. And actually, I've since gone back to doing some of the bars in a way that I enjoy a bit more now. And I've been doing them as in since the pandemic ended, I find myself doing, you know, the Coup Bar down in Soho and just kind of being so glad to be back out and to be back with people. Um, But I can definitely feel my, my mind has uh, slightly tired of that in the past six months again, where I'm like, right, okay, I've. I've recharged my batteries and I'm looking again to, you know, how can I showcase something a bit more interesting? Because I think what you say there about drag has this potential within uh well, we can people know now that drag is enormously bankable to young teenagers, for example. And I think it makes sense why that's the case, because it's kind of the extension of clowning and it's also it can be quite narcissistic. You can really create your own persona and all of that stuff that young people love. Um, what are you seeing when you tour? Because you tend to tour. Um, it tends to be, I would say, a slightly older audience from the drag race fandom that comes oh, to the totally,
3: wow. totally. Um- there's so many things I want to pick up on what you said. First of all, you really came on my radar because of your work with live music and playing the piano. And I think you say it like, I don't know about that. And of course you are amazing on that. And I think there's a there's a handful of people on the circuit that do stand out because they are that point of difference on, on the circuit because they are they've got more than what the bars are offering. And I think that's when the UK drag scene becomes really good and really interesting and really versatile because you've got people that, yes, you might be in, a bar playing the piano on a stand, but for God's sake, you're playing a live instrument in drag, and that instantly that's transportable, and people know that they're seeing a skill set. And I think there's a lot of people because of the rise of of drag race that think, oh, I can put on the makeup and the wig and the heels, and I, I can do that, mm. and they don't realise what work that involves. And I think what I really admire about a UK uh, audience in the in the gay bars is. That they are, they know that. So I think I think a lot of, especially in London and the cities, they will go. Oh, that's terrible! I don't like that. They won't embrace it so much. And I think that's really gives real validation to the fact that there's a hunger for really good drag in the UK. And I think we've shown that on RuPaul's Drag Race UK that it hasn't quite been as massively embraced. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's been massively embraced, but it's not been as huge as the US one, because I think people go, okay, I either love it and I, I think it's great and I want to go and see it or not really a fan. I think it's a bit cheap or a bit trashy. And there's that fine line. Very early on within season two or three, I think we're seeing a backlash of, it's a great fun program. I mean, I think it's brilliant and I would never knock it because it's giving an amazing um, lift to the drag scene. And I've been lucky enough to be in a live when Lily Savage was around and, and um, all of that era little bit young for Danny LaRue uh but uh, <laughs> and I've seen the dip of the 90s when I was trying to make it uh you know an early 2000s um and it was really hard to get work in drag there was hardly any people didn't like it they thought it was weird They were like why are you doing it it didn't certainly wasn't a career prospect and then it slowly started to pick up again and now the drag race it's a, it's a resurgence of it and yeah. it will you know, in 10, 20 years, it'll dip again and there'll be another time when it's out of fashion and it'll come back in. And I think if you are working in drag and you're not embracing the rise of it, then you're a fool because this is a business and it's like saying, I don't know, avocados are in fashion and you are, and actually you are wanting, you know, you love avocados, but you go, well, I'm not liking it because everyone else likes it. And that's just the only person you're punishing is yourself. Would I do drag race? No, I'm too old. I don't death drop, I don't lip sync, I don't make my own clothes. Skill set wise, it doesn't highlight anything I do. So I would look terrible on it. And you've got to have that intelligence to say, I don't not want to do it because I'm bitter or because I think it's beneath me. No, I would love to do it. I would love to have a single release like what Bag of Chips has had and be on MasterChef and that TV claim. I think that's, who wouldn't? And if you've got the talent behind to back up those opportunities, amazing take the money do your own theater show and take it back um for me my theater shows are much of an older audience they are your 56 year old women i very rare i get a spattering of gays i call it not many gay men or women um a lot of lesbians a lot especially after britain's got talent the first thing i did got booked for about 15 lesbian weddings and i thought this is not why i did britain's got talent to be you know no. I mean, lesbian women <laughs> in Birmingham. And I was thinking, oh my God, this is my future. Why, why, why? But I, you know, and I, I mean that with no offense. It was just a really odd thing that happened. Um, and I don't get the 16, 17, 18 year old drag race fans coming. Will I off the back of Queen of the Universe? I don't know. Will they like what I do? I don't know. Um, but for me, I am performing to a generation. I think your, your followers age with you. And I get a lot of people that say, oh, I used to see you at the RVT. They say it like it was 20 years ago that I performed at the RVT. It was only like four or five years ago. But they say it like, oh, I remember the days in Clapham at the two brewers. And I'm like, oh my God, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Um, and I think it's quite nice to have that journey. My musical taste is a bit dated. I genuinely love the music of Liza Minnelli and Judy Garland and tries, and I am obsessed with that. So it's a, it's a genuine love rather than a cliche of, oh, I'll just do that dated number. It's where my passion lies. So I find yeah. it hard to embrace the younger side sometimes
0: i i I did something i realized um when i moved to london i you know to to perform more i'd been performing all the time in glasgow and i just wanted more opportunity and i realized that i was trying to do stuff like you know love game by lady gaga which is fine i can i can definitely sell songs like that but Actually, it was when I went, do you know what? Fuck it. I love a power ballad. And I, you know, I there's a mold of a diva that I do in my show. And it's it's that 90 Celine Dion Mariah Carey. Yeah, stick. yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. And for
0: me, actually leaning into that more authentically, the material that I have more conviction to perform. And I understand how what what the engine of that is and what that type of camp is all about. Um, Actually, because you know, there's this weird thing that people do sometimes in clubs, where they think if the beats per minute of a song is less than about 110, they just they think no one's going to like this. They think no one likes a ballad, and I can do a whole show of ballads and have people screaming along and cheering and having every bit as wild a time as as they would have if it was all you know up tempo songs. Because it's about the energy. It's not just about the beats per minute.
3: Yeah, but it's um, not just about that it's about the talent to be able to sing those songs and that's what you're not giving yourself credit for there's a lot of people that can't touch Celine and Adele and an ABBA mega mix in medley or a, you know whatever is all they can do so the reason why I mean look at Adele she's a performer who sings the most depressing ballads yeah. but she packs out arenas so you cannot say no one likes a ballad but a lot of bar owners are used to booking acts that can't perform ballads. So they will advise, keep it upbeat because what they're actually saying is don't sing a ballad because the majority of people can't. And if you go out there and whack out a Celine Dion song, the gays are going to lose their mind, you know? And that's that's the door that is left open between where I think you've got really good talented queens, but they're held back because the venues are booking acts that, are not acts or they don't have the kudos to hold an audience. And I think there is a handful of people that uh, get lost in that swamp of mediocrity that it's really hard to get above because do people want it? Do they not want it? Do they want to go and watch a high-end show of ballads two in the morning? Well, I think actually if we had a scene like New York where it was piano bars yeah, and people whacking out, they would. they would. And I think there is a tide. and I think it will turn massively where the, the, they're realising it's lucrative because of Drag Race. For Drag Race people will come in, they'll only be able to do one or two songs. And I'm talking very much about the American Queen's here. I'm not talking so much about the English ones because, you know, someone like Bagger is used to doing 45 minutes, oh, yeah. two hours. Two hours. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's the difference. And I think they will find that these acts will get better and better and better if, as long as the programme runs. And sadly, if you're not stepping that up, you are just going to get left behind.
0: Yeah, got, absolutely. You know, well, so I want to talk to you about one of the things that strikes me. And I think you touched on something that might be adjacent to this. Um, so we've just talked about the sort of musical material and the and I suppose like the the tone and the energy of drag shows and obviously you know uh, the I think the best shows tend to be although there are exceptions tend to be shows where you're with one personality for the night you really go mm-hmm. on a journey with them, um, but not to say that somebody with 10 minutes of amazing lip sync can't be amazing because they really can be but, um, yeah. but for me i you know i prefer a long form show i want to talk about the kind of risks that performers especially drag artists can take with their humor because um i was thinking that nowadays we have almost an unexpected surveillance element to what happens in a live show so it used to be that people that had bought a ticket or were coming to that venue they watched your show and had presumably had a nice time Whereas now anyone with a smartphone documents your show, and it's now being seen by people who didn't want to come, who didn't buy a ticket, who weren't there on the night, who wouldn't come to your show anyway. And, you know, I'm aware of performers in London. I remember uh, Charlie Hydes and her Lucretia Jones character that was, I mean, essentially blackface, Um, you know, stuff like that. People are now answerable beyond the audience in the room. And so to keep your work exciting, but also to stay on the right side of not getting, you know, cancelled or a It must be quite a tightrope. How do you manage it? Because yeah, it. it is. You seem uh, to I, get it yeah, right.
3: Yeah, I couldn't say what I say in a theatre tour, in a bar situation, or a club situation. I can in certain ones that I know know me and get it. Like there's Eden By in Birmingham, and there's the Eagle Manchester. Those ones where they are, you know, your basement, you know, your older. You're older gay men, normally yeah. um, the bear type. They seem to be a generation where they know that this is fun and there's no deeper meaning of racism or transphobia or anything that in anything. But in the theaters, I find it. <sighs> I've got myself in a situation where there's a pressure to, oh, I wonder what Lavois is going to say about that. Yeah. As opposed to you know, so so it's almost like the Joan Rivers or your, your egging you on, on a, a bit. bit. Yeah, so I write, I make sure I have quips on everything, whether it be um, the Paralympics to trans rights, to gay rights. And again, it's never written offensively or singling person out. It's always done with a almost a naive mindset of an unintelligent response that's, you know, she's got the whole idea completely wrong. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, and I think you get away with that comedically, but you've got to address it. And I think I've got to address it on my toe and I want to address it. I don't want to be put in a box of what you can't say and what you can say. I do go mad if people film a show. I've got off stage and taken phones off people and put it on my stage. And I said, you'll come and get this back at the end of the show. And I want to see you delete it. And and then go into the album and do the deleted bit. You know, I know all the tricks and I've made people do that. And I've took phones off them and put them on the table on stage cause I've seen them filming. Cause I just say, you don't, you you could ruin everything. You could, you know, you're having, you're filming it cause you're enjoying it. You're not filming it because you're offended. I've been very, I've been very lucky that I've never been trolled or had anything like that put out. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with Queen of the Universe? That might all change. Um, but no. I, I've been very lucky, and I have been lucky because I've gone there. If I had been trolled or pulled upon something, would it stop me saying it so much? Probably. It might make me go, okay, I've got to cut that joke. I would always be respectful if I felt like it was a too loaded or too close to a mark. Because comedy you, changes. Monthly, I think it changes so quickly these days. But do you hate that
0: mean? when people when people I feel it's like such a hijacking goes on when, for example, let's say that you make a joke on stage about um, you know, a, a, a man in his in his outfit, and then it turns out that outfit's actually his national dress. Okay. So it might be a kilt and you didn't realise that Scott Scottish people wear kilts yeah, yeah. or something like that. And you know, nobody from offended community was necessarily there on the night, but somebody's gone and taken the clip of you saying that to offended community on the internet. And I'm like, yeah. well, who's offended them? Not Lavoie. You didn't take it to that to, no. to them. Do you know what I mean? It's this like hijacking a thing to go and shove it under someone else's nose, to, to just watch the whole play f- fall apart. And that, that I always think is very cynical and it surprises me. People aren't more skeptical about claims like that because um you know i always i always have a little side eye when something like that goes on i'm like how offended are you really
3: yeah well exactly and also i think the more your profile rises and the more your name gets out there and the more established you are the harder it is to get away with things if you go to a bar and someone goes this is um i don't know Fanny Fru first gig, and she walks on stage and says a really offensive joke, and everyone goes, Ooh. She sort of, it's not mentioned. Someone might just say to her, Oh, look, you really can't say that, and it'll die definitely." death, and it'll mention it. But if someone, if like I went on and said it, obviously it's like, Oh my God, Lavois, that's the word, really pick up on it. And they forget that you are a drag queen the more established you get. And I can make really offensive jokes about not, when I say drag queens, I don't mean particular drag queens, about the art of drag or dressing up or putting on women's clothing and they because your profile has become oh it's a lavoir they'll think you're being really transphobic or drag phobic and you go hang on you're missing the fact that I am a drag queen here making yeah. a joke about a drag queen I'm, I'm allowed to do that I always have jokes about you know I can't stand people who pretend to be something they're not and all that and you know they yeah. like they, they you go you're you're missing what you're looking at because you're thinking I'm a real woman now and then it's all offensive and you're like you just got blinkered
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's that thing of uh, a, good, a good practice is to, is to ask someone like, are you using the least charitable, worst case scenario interpretation of what I just said when you're, when you're offended? Because, you know, there, if we believe in limitless interpretations of things, which there probably are, and it's always possible, people are indeed hurt by things. And, um, but I've been performing for 12 years. And and I'm actually astonished. I don't have any problems about the things I say on stage. Like I, I don't get I don't get in trouble. Audiences don't seem to have an issue. I don't I don't think I'm massively risque, but I do. Ha- I can be quite cutting. But I find mm-hmm. that you know when I when I've banged my drum about free speech in the past, it's not particularly over things that I want to say or that are an issue for me because I think, like yourself, the people that come to my shows tend to understand. You know. It's why you don't I want to end get, up in front of you, the wrong audience sometimes. I want yeah, to and do it for the army. You'll,
3: you'll, you'll know the line and you'll know when you get a, ooh, you think, okay, that's that's a bit much for them. So I, so you're not going to then plough on with 20 more of those types of jokes until you're literally like they're leaving the bar. You get to learn, oh, okay, that's the bar. Or you get to learn, okay, they're a really filthy crowd tonight, so I can really go there with that joke. Or they're really loving the unpc stuff tonight. And I think it's absolutely fine to do politically incorrect jokes if everyone in the room is laughing and no one's singled out and it's just an explosion of frustration on how ridiculous sometimes it can feel. I think that is fine. I think because otherwise, how can something be politically incorrect if you're not talking about what the incorrect thing is? Because all of a sudden it's like, well, now we're just, no one says anything then.
0: So is that one of the roles of a drag queen, do you think? That, that you know, I suppose the drag queen is the court jester of our culture, so.
3: Yeah, and I think you're allowed, I think I tend to go on stage and go, can we talk, you know, my favorite line is, can you say that anymore? I love saying, you know, I'll say something, I go, oh, can you you not say that anymore? And you can say about ridiculous things, you know, about, you know, I don't know. Doritos or something talking about and I know, it was Mexican I went had Doritos you know can you say that anymore you know it's like it's <laughs> even, it doesn't even it's not even offensive but it doesn't even make sense but yeah. it just highlights how ridiculous it all is and and I think you've got to be able to open it up that it's not open for um conversation and debate so I think that's a fine line between you know especially I think when in all the worlds we're in now with gender fluid and non-binary and all these new terms that for some people are very new not for people that are living with it, it's not new at all. And I think some people think that's open for discussion and it's not open for discussion, of course, it's there. And I think if you accept that these people exist and they have rights, well, then you can make something really intelligent joke about those sort of things, because you're being inclusive, but you're also being witty. I think if you just go, well, I don't understand what all that means, then that walks the fine line.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I remember I remember a few years ago, I used to judge one of the drag competitions that all the young queens are in. And uh, and Lady Lloyd, who you'll know, and for those yes. that don't know, she's been on the podcast. But, you know, Lady Lloyd was a fashion model for Vivienne Westwood as a as an androgynous, genderless being um, back in the back in the. You know 12 15 years ago and is a drag queen dj and runs a trans and non-binary club night for transgender drag queens non-binary people the whole lot and um you know she's got that she's got that sense of humor that i have as well so we're like to, you know we tease one another and we tease we, we we tease the people around us a bit and i remember some of the, the young younger people in the bar like really didn't know how to take her humor and or my humor around anything to do with this and I just said one night on stage I was like do you guys really think Lady Lloyd is the patriarchy like she's, yeah. she's not
3: yeah um, but it's because it's, they, they, it's, it's not talked about so then no one knows how you can talk about it so then it doesn't get talked about but then it just gets shut down and then no one nothing moves on
0: yeah I think the best thing about like the great thing about when you have an audience is the audience should be your friends in a way like you're as a performer you're you are you the person you are friends with that audience you're playing a character who can be the panto villain you can play the character who can be you know okay I'll I'll take the part of all the the negative connotations of anything and 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 you can have a laugh at the this the silly things I say but actually as the performer you're friends with them and um friends do tease each other that's how friendships are
3: yeah and you absolutely and I think my biggest thing I always my little mantra is you've got to be present in the room that you're performing in so I can't do my theatre show in a basement club you know with a two in the morning and I can't do that if I'm doing someone's wedding or a birthday or it's a tv show you've got to be in that room and go okay this is where I am and these are the people not do the same old show to them and then judge them on their reaction because you might have totally misjudged the situation. So you've got to be present in every single theatre, every single club with those people. And then it's a night that can never be recreated. They know it was for them. It was that show was for them. And then you go and then right on to the next one.
0: How do you keep yourself balanced when you're doing all of these sorts of shows? You do tour quite a lot. So, um, you know, I'd imagine that's a lot of hotels as you're going around the UK. Um I mean, I know I budget emotionally before I do a show, so I I would, it took me a long time to work out that I need to do this, but I basically manage my mood and I don't, I try not to have too much fun on the day before a show or to laugh too much or to talk too much because I kind of need to save that extra version for when I'm working. Um, What do you do? Are there there steps you have to take to make sure you can do it?
3: Yeah, I, I, it's very similar. I go, so my mornings will be my time so if if i'm touring with a band or my management or whatever's around me i will that's my time in the morning to i'll always go for a swim or i'll go to the gym or i'll go and work out and that's and it's always 90 minutes and not when i say 90 minutes it's not like i'm doing 90 minutes of, of weights and being a fitness guru it's, you take your it's time. 90 minutes of whatever i feel like if i want to sit in a steam room in a hotel or go to a gym or go for a walk that's 90 minutes is my time and, I, and that's a rule i tell myself that this is your time and then um i'm quite the opposite so I like a busy full dressing room with music blaring so I don't like a door shut I'm doing my makeup getting ready I like the doors always open music playing and I like people to come in so I like people that want to come and meet before the show love all of that come in come in come in come in busy we we'll have a drink and I like someone to go oh crap you're on and then like push me on stage and I'm all <sighs> of that energy I love that if I think about what I'm going to do it's always a worse show than if I am walked on stage going, I have no idea what I'm going to say. They're always the best shows. And I'll always, oh, sorry, every show will always have a drink, alcoholic drink before I go on. And wow. I'll always have an alcoholic drink on stage. Not just, obviously, when I'm doing theatre shows, it's longer than when I was doing the bars. God, I would have seven drinks. But um, I've always had an alcoholic drink before I sing and before I go on.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, well, I mean, many of the greats do, you know, and I suppose it's one of those things, it's quite, I think it's good to have rituals around your performance, because you create a little set of structure, Mm -hmm. you know, a set of structures that they sort of keep you safe for when you're going out. And I'm sure that you probably like your drink to be in a certain type of glass or, you know, All of um, that.
3: And, it, and you're absolutely right. The rituals really, really help. And I always wear the same fragrance. It's Margriff by Carmen, which is what Judy Garland used to wear. So I spritz that on and the smell instantly lets me know I'm going to do a show. Or my yeah. costume smell of it from the years of putting it on. And it's just, I know that's my costume. That's my show smell. And I'm going to go on. And there is a moment where it is, it's it's showtime and you prepare yourself for that. And I get excited like a kid on Christmas Eve for a show. Like, because I never, I don't write I'll, I'll write some of my shows, and then there's large sections. The first twenty minutes is always my, as I said, I'm present in the room. I'm just, who's who's in the audience? What's going on? Where am I? I'll never plan it. I'll never write it, and that's nerve wracking. That's it's exciting, but it's nerve wracking because I know it's where my strength lies, but I also don't know what I'm going to do. So yeah. there's that risky element to it, you know.
0: Sometimes. I did. I feel just I feel much the same. I find that like actually the process of writing is something I find like I've never I never sit and write things. It's more that over the years I accumulate the, this this spontaneously funny things that have worked and I remember them and then they start to become the sort of palette I work from mm-hmm. when I'm you know I've never sat because to me being being funny and being entertaining are they're like byproducts of a social situation they're not something i can create just sat staring at a page I, I mean i'm sure there are people who think in that way but to me if i was sat by myself there would be no need to make jokes <laughs> so i don't know how to do yeah, it yeah, i only no. exist in response to people so for me it's a completely social thing
3: totally agree i think the writing is is really hard because it's you notice like the think you go oh i'll write that joke and i'll try and deliver that now it's never the strongest joke in the show. And a lot of my material has just come from developing scenarios. And I've added a bit on the end, that has got a laugh. And I've tried to remember, I've written it down on my phone. And so it's sort of written itself over the years. And so then I'll hit sections and I'll know, I'll go right now I'm talking about men. Now I'm talking about travel. Now I'm talking about, you know, weddings. And I'll, and I'll have a wealth of material. And if it's working, I'll have 10 more jokes. If not, I'll move on to something else. But I do it in topics in my head. So I'll know when I finish a song, Right, I'll talk about men, but I won't know what I'm going to say, but I know I'll somehow go blah blah, 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 about men and relationships. And, you know, the audience is like, they'll laugh, they'll shout things out. You'll find a man in the audience. You'll, you'll have 20 minutes on that.
0: Uh, yeah, it's funny the way that if you go on to st- Actually, hang on to sex i I'm just going to plug my thing in because it's... Um, no worries. Um, and then I shall start that sentence again. Um... um yes i think it's interesting that if you go on stage with the right posture and the right almost like the right voice the right cadence all again little little um parameters for your persona then actually half the work is done and people start to find things funny before you've even said anything so i noticed that one of the things that you that you have a you have a very the Lavoie has a whole like physicality that you immediately that you can put on. And, you know, when you're doing your videos on social media, talking to Joanne off camera, who's your off camera uh, assistant, uh-huh. it, the, everything in in the, the flow is um, it's consistent and you know I find that with my own shows as well like it there is a voice for Vanity Von Glow and a sort of a sort of Emma Thompson-esque way of approaching uh-huh. looking at people and when you do that you buy yourself some time so if there's something some, somebody heckles you and you suddenly you turn to them you look at them the audience start giggling because they know you're going to do something funny even though you don't know what it is yet and just like, what they're laughing at is the is the character. And because they're laughing, then suddenly the inspiration comes and then you find the thing to say.
3: You'd be absolutely right. And I think the biggest strength to anyone on stage is, I call it anchoring. So you've got to, when you, whether you're walking on a stage or whether you're revealed with a curtain, um, the, the walking on is, is always harder. Um, you've got to walk on and you've got to anchor and you've got to stand still and face the audience front on and just anchor that's the word I always use I just anchor yeah. because what a lot of drag queens forget is visually it's a lot to take in yeah there's, there's makeup there's wigs there's jewelry there's the dress there's the shoes and you think I'm going to walk on I've got to say something funny now and I've got to grab the crowd mm. you grab them yeah by putting on your outfit and let give yourself that breath to take in the room because they will be cheering and whooping and looking and getting their phones out to take pictures of new clubs and that's your moment and then and I hold that as if it's a devery, like look at me and then all you have to do is go oh my god what a dump and then instantly you've you've undermined the entire persona of what they're doing and and anchoring is key and i used to see it a lot when i used to judge the drag idol competitions was so many of them would walk on and they'd almost start talking before they were up the stairs at the side of the stage or before they got on and you and they'd be leaning down to talk to someone on the front row if it was a high stage and and you would be you didn't see their dress and about the second song in, because they were just turning their back and talking to the DJ, like, just stand still. I want to see what you look like and go, wow, you look amazing. Now, you know, just breathe. And I think a lot of people don't breathe in a drag performance. It's so hectic, especially with all this death dropping and the lip syncing world, you've got to give more because you're not seeing live and people know you're not singing live. So if they hear you coming out singing, I don't know, an amazing Diana Ross song, instantly they know you're not singing so you've got to flick the hair and spin round and jump up and down and you know That's why the best, let them know you've got skill
0: the best lip sync act i mean you know taste who you, who i'm sure you're familiar yeah. with um like and really since as long as i can remember taste has just had a magnetism she treats it a bit like she's also modeling you know so she'll go yeah. out and she, she'll just sort of stun you by holding herself and actually a great lip sync performance doesn't need to be schizophrenic it can actually be really like committed and right down the lens of the imaginary camera and it's that kind of um that takes actual confidence to just stand and bear yourself in front of people and that I think that's what you're describing isn't it because you've got to stand and just it can feel quite searching. I find it quite hard at the end of a show sometimes, like when, if an audience is getting on their feet or anything, it actually makes me a bit embarrassed. Like even if I've given a triumphant performance and I'm really pleased with myself, I sometimes I have to tell myself, count count a period before you walk off, like drink this in, even though it feels a bit like, oh no, you know, yeah. it's quite, it's quite oh, hard to know. just be accepted. Okay
3: yeah it is and it's and it's listening to an audience because a lot of the time we think a joke hasn't landed or it's but sometimes can be a slow burn or a long laugh and if you leave a gap the audience will keep laughing you know and you can leave it till it absolutely tapers off to nothing and then it's awkward and then say oh i'm so sorry i thought you would have laughed longer at that you know and that will get another you're just letting them know that i'm in control of this and i'm not disappointed by anything you give me because i know what i'm going to do is fabulous so yeah. it's up to you if you enjoy it or not and that's the action and people love that because they go oh my god that's ridiculous who do you think she is yeah. you know
0: um, um so when you're inspired um to, you know obviously the divas inspire drag queens we all know that uh, i would imagine if i guessed that judy and shirley and yeah Maybe it was think- all that. Like, you know
3: i have a really strong memory of my dad having the Barbra Streisand in Madison Square Garden's concert on a VHS. And I didn't know who the one was. I didn't know. I can't remember what age I must have been, but I knew I didn't know anything about celebrity or famous people. That, that hadn't come onto my maturity. And I don't think it was long before the celebrity culture that we now, now, you know, everyone's a celebrity. And I remember watching, I don't know why I watched it, why I thought oh, I'm going to sit down and watch this, but I remember watching it, not looking at her talent or her skill, but thinking, how does one human being get that level of attention? How has all those people just gone to see her? And oh my God, they're all applauding. And oh my God, they're all like worshiping. And it was that that I wanted. I wanted that level of attention and that level of focus and just everything the, the the staircase and the chaise longs and the glamour and people were just like losing their mind this woman and she didn't even have to do anything by that stage wow. she had her whole career you know she was to sing, you know and the audience are like yeah, yeah,
1: like "Yeah,
3: I was like oh my god how do people achieve that how do you get that and that's always been my life ambition to how do you get that and I think it's an unknown thing it's not a job it's not a dress you can buy it's not a makeup tutorial you can learn it's not a song you can break down to go that's it I've got it you'll never know and I think that is so addictive to find out I want to know what that is and will I achieve it before I die I don't know but I'm going to bloody try yeah and if I get to the stage where I go I worked out what it is. I'll tell everybody and everyone, you need to buy this secret pill or this secret thing and it'll make you a star. And I think the reason why, and I, and I, I, I would never wish anyone to not have that. I was never jealous of anyone's success. And I just think it's, it's, I think it's amazing. Someone like bag of chips on RuPaul's drag race. Cause it's always, and I mean this in a real nice way. It's always the slight, a, a underdog, or the one that never got yeah. the praise on the scene that makes it, and it makes you go, God, I never would have thought. If you'd said to me ten years ago, "Oh, um you know, Burger Chips will be on master chef I would have been like, "What?" <laughs> what yeah. hell? And all these other things. And I think it's absolutely amazing, and it's just that right place, right time, that personality that's got a thing, and it's working. And I think everyone needs to find whatever that is to get their moment and chase it, and and think bigger and. And think bolder, I'm you know, like the Queen of the Universe program. Oh, my God, I've never done something so scary in my entire life. It was so outside my comfort zone. I thought, am I too old to do this? I'm never going to get on it. You do these auditions. You don't think you're ever going to get the job. And then when you get it, you think, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then you're doing it thinking, well, this could be another a break. And my, you know, my oh. britain Got Talent was maybe 10 years ago.
0: Do you... Right do you still have another five minutes to talk or do you need to yeah wrap up? Yeah,
3: yeah yeah no I'm good yeah, okay
0: because I just something so something you said has just sort of caught me which is I do think because I, I used to live with Baga and um, Baga is very uh, determined in her way and there's a relentlessness um, and you can see that in the people who work 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 all the time I mean over the time that I've been in London it's like I've, I've never not worked like, you know, even when I got canceled, I, I you know, well, that was, I had, I had maybe like two weeks during that period where I didn't have a gig and then it was kind of back to normal. And it was extremely, um, you know, part of what was fueling me was the liquor. I like to go out and be in the bar and do the show and then go on to the next place and all the And bagger was the same. But um, that determination, I think, is part of what makes a, a star is a kind of, a, a, you know, you're just going to keep doing it. You're going to keep doing it. You're going to keep doing it. Um, but that also possibly means that there's like a little damage because I think that part of what makes a great drag queen is often a little sad story at the beginning. Do you think there's any truth in that?
3: Oh God, a hundred percent. Of course. Of course. I think if I go back to my childhood, I was never one of the cool kids. I was always that, you know, the, 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 slightly bullied child. I was never in with the cool gang. And all of a sudden when I was doing Lavoir on the, the, the Brewers and the RVT, I was like, oh my god, I was suddenly part of like these really, you know, hot guys were coming back or wanting pictures with me or hanging out. You're like, oh my god, I'm suddenly in the cool gang. And it was really massive therapy because all of a sudden you feel like you've got something to give and you're accepted. Um, and when I left the bars to do theater, I lost that. I lost that, however Ooh. superficial that friend world can be on the scene. I lost it and I missed it, and I missed it massively. And I was, I would love to go back to it, but there's some bars that washed their hands with me when they thought, well, you know, it's that thing of they make it look like they don't need you before you can let it know that you don't need them. And yeah. I think that's the thing about the, the, a lot of the, the venue owners for very much, were very outspoken about, well, we got rid of them, we don't want her, and blah, 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 and, and that was really, real tough pill to swallow because I was like wow I thought we were friends and we've done holidays together and also I've packed your venue out for four nights a week for how many years or I've done endless fundraisers or charity nights for free you know we all do it on the the bars a lot of times we're not we're asked to do stand in last minute or can you do an extra night or there's no money for this or it's 50 quid here or you know we've all done that and I think to be discarded was really painful and I don't think I've ever had the chance to step back into that arena to defend that will I ever do that no because I, I don't think I want to I don't think I need to do that I don't think I want to do that but it was certainly the damage for me happened younger Then I was back on the scene it was great and then the damage almost rehappened for me back on that scene so I think I'm very much a lone player as Lavoie on my own doing what I do and I love it, but it does get incredibly lonely. And I would love sometimes to be embraced by that community. And I think that was something that happened to me on Queen of the Universe. I suddenly thought, oh, wow, I can actually be friends with with drag queens and with, you know, sisters and all that stuff um, and embrace it without them, without me feeling they're gonna, gonna be down or they're wanting me to fail or all of that stuff. And that was a really lovely turning point
0: for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think um I, I think a lot of that makes sense. Um, what, what you're saying there. And I think, you know, I do I, I have uh, well, you know, success is the best revenge, right? Like so <laughs> at the end of the day, <laughs> well, you can't well, exactly you can't wait queen for of the universe, recognition.
3: Like, you know, I mean the Queen of the Universe for me is a great journey. I obviously can't say what happens or how it plays out, but I was thinking, God, if I like if my voice is terrible, it cracks or you get, you know, voted off after like halfway through your first song or you. they would just, some of them would love it. And the fact that you're like, oh God, I really need this to work. Cause as you said, success is brilliant.
0: Yeah. Well, I wish you continued success and thank you so much. We, uh, we've had some really interesting people here on The Vanity Project and you were uh, top of my list to do a proper uh, full uh, length podcast with. And maybe, oh, uh, maybe if we carry on down the line, um, we'll have you back on and we can discuss whatever you're doing in the future. That's, of course, if, um, uh, you know, if we're all still alive.
3: <laughs> I know. It's blooming scary out there. Cuckle down, get in your bunker with your powdered eggs. It's going to be a
0: while. Thank you so much, Lavoie.
3: Pleasure, darling. Thank you so much.
0: Well, that was Lavoie, and this is Snow White Trash, our guest for this week's Queen's Corner. Hello there, Snow.
2: Hiya, love. How are you doing? Hello, hello. Um,
0: I'm very well, I'm very well. You are, of course, with a name like Snow White Trash, you are one of my drag queen colleagues from the industry of being ridiculous in nightclubs.
2: Absolutely, we've been being ridiculous in nightclubs, what we met about eight years ago now.
0: That's right, and you are the you have the distinction of being, I think, the UK's only drag queen saxophone player.
2: Yes, I am the, um, the UK's saxy drag queen. And I've always said if you do find another drag queen who plays a saxophone, let me know and I will
0: chop her fingers off. You've got to, yeah, you gotta get rid of the uh, competition. Um it's great when you play sax in clubs because well one, people aren't necessarily used to drag queen musicianship. And mm. so I find if I do, if I play the piano badly, they're always very appreciative just because <laughs> you don't see it very often. Um, but you play yes. the saxophone well, and it really lifts people's spirits when you do Whitney Houston and stuff like that.
2: Oh, well, yeah, people people go mad for it because I have to. I play stuff like Whitney Houston songs that everyone knows the words to, because obviously I can't do the words at the same time. No, um, yet. But, not yet yeah, still working on that one um so yeah everyone i pick songs that everyone already knows the words to so they all immediately sing along and one when, when you get an audience singing along they just they it's lovely it's it's that shared experience
0: yeah music is such a great i mean not all, not all drag has to be musically oriented although i suppose most of it is but mm-hmm. drag can drag is also comedy drag is also um you know, lip sync sort of deals, you can almost have a schizophrenic personality on stage because you can cut in so many different personas into one piece. Um, but to me, nothing lifts the roof like great music. And that's something that Lavoie obviously does in her shows. In fact, you've even played for Lavoie in her band.
2: I have actually many a few years this many years ago i was kind of just starting out in drag um and i had she knew that i'd play the saxophone i've come onto her radar um and she employed me just as uh not not in drag obviously i think having uh, a drag queen in the band would maybe to from imagine me just playing saxo be like in full like reggae, like full
0: wig and, and i do everything. think of, of all the queens lavoire knows <laughs> not to let someone pull focus oh, Absolutely,
2: she is the only person in a wig um, and a dress on that in that stage for sure. And um, so yeah, um, she got in touch with me and asked me to come play saxophone and clarinet um, for her show that she did in Blackpool. Um, and what happened was is that I played the clarinets really badly. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, if, if, I hope Lefort doesn't remember me playing. I just there was a sax. Um, sorry, there was a clarinet solo at the beginning of cabaret <laughs> and I just absolutely fluffed it. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't remember Navoir just looking at me and going, okay, um started the song.
0: <laughs> How much um, rehearsal time do you get when you're because um I th- did you say that was in Liverpool or something or Blackpool? Blackpool. That um pulling?
2: we had a couple rehearsals in London and then um went up and did the did the shows in Blackpool. Um, so we did have a bit of rehearsal, not too much, but um, I just should have done some more at home, really. Uh, but but, uh, but luckily, in my solo shows, I'm fully rehearsed and everything goes 100% correct
0: all of the time, I promise. <laughs> uh, people don't realise how much it costs. Like, if you're putting on a show and you have a band, mm. um, if you remember that night that, that I had a band performance at Freedom and yourself, yes. and then we got this really fit guy who was a drummer we had little Ben Patworth on the piano and yeah Michael Harvey so anyway so there was a, a full band but like there wasn't my I, I mean I didn't have much money putting that show on but thought let's just do something a bit different but like you, 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 need I, to fact, and you need to factor in rehearsal time it's quite a big pr- proposition actually which absolutely. is probably why there aren't as many bands as there maybe could be
2: and why La moved from the club bar scene to the theatre scene because in the theatre scene there is I suppose when you're doing a ticketed show like that in theatres there is a bit more budget for a band and you've got a bit more room to make it a bit more as the French would say, spectacle um, uh, but yeah in the club scene and the bar scene there isn't the space or the uh, the sound set up or the budget to be able to do that um, so yeah I can totally see why Le moved to to the to the theatre scene, and also you were both saying about song choices. Um, her that is obviously another reason of her moving over, wanting to have be able to do um, more of the songs that they want that they want to do in those in those spaces. Just the theatre scene lends itself much more to that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that was, you know she and I were in agreement on that point that different venues. Almost call for well they do they call for different material mm. um, and I enjoy being able to do um, you know the Ku Bar in Soho where there's you know you can do you can do all all the gay anthems and all that stuff and they love it and you can actually get away with some more obscure or less well known material you know, if the audience are, mm. really got them on board. But then there are other venues uh, when I do my shows at the Phoenix Arts Club or at the cellar door, where really I can pick any material I want within, within yeah. up to the point, you know, which and allows can... me to explore different things. I found it interesting
2: when Laval was saying um, about certain so venues not allowing, and you, we were both saying about venues not allowing a performers to do certain, certain songs or being at certain beats per minute. Um, I remember I, so I always quite carefully choose out the set list for my show in advance. I remember there was one venue. Um, I didn't end up working there because they were like, oh, no, the, the performers just give me their tracks of songs and then I choose it, choose the songs. But that was the venue manager. And I was like, oh, well, uh, no, that's, no, no I wa- <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> it's so weird because that reduces you as a performer to your mechanical function in a way. Because I, I find when people want to book a DJ, but then they want to basically orchestrate what the DJ plays. And I'm like, well, it depends on what you think a DJ is. If you think that a DJ mm. is sort of a, a mechanically functioning uh, sort of product that literally just plays in order's tracks, that's one thing. But they actually bring their taste to the table. You know, mm. they, they bring a level of artistry or creative creative interest in what they're doing and if that's the case it's also
2: reactive to the crowd that's there as well
0: yeah and and guess what a dj probably knows better than you do you know random client um how to manipulate the crowd to get the best party and to give everyone the best experience and it's the same thing with shows because i mean i've never i i remember there was one venue not too long ago actually who i was coming to do my show and they said to the person that booked me they were like oh but she's not just going to do all ballads is she because if you if you look through my social media it tends to be that some of the highlight points in a show are actually kind of heartfelt ballads or a bit Mm. you know and so they make they make content that stands out a bit from what everybody else is posting but i'll sing you know the like of prayers and take on me and these these big higher energy songs all the time so i made a point for that night of just doing basically the vanities on a pill, vanities on a <laughs> playlist. You know, to, to, to sort of remind them that um you know I can do that too and do that a lot yeah. and enjoy doing that. Um but definitely um definitely I wouldn't want to be having my set list chosen out for me.
2: Yeah. So that at that prospect was like and I really you do as a just you try and um order your shows in a in a certain way because you you know what leads from one to the next and it's the bit it's not 100%. just about the audience it's about what you like the performers who I idolize and who I uh love in terms of like musicians who do concerts like Barbara Streisand or Adele they like they have it's their and it's how I try and base my shows around my shows around of having a song and then you have a bit of chat about the song beforehand and it's you you they have a flow and a story to them
0: Mm -hmm. that's it there's definitely a sense of a narrative um flow to a show you build up to the big moments you you know and then you can you can have those songs where you ease out a little and you take your foot off the gas a little and you know i always think like there's some songs that are a bit like that at the start but then by the end of the song they're not like torn by natalie and brulia you know, starts quite chilled out, and by the end, I I sing the part that the guitar slide does that that bit, and um and people love that because you're singing really high, and um yeah, drag queens should choose their own material.
2: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, I found it interesting how you both you and Lavoie had really different. Um, like preparations for shows mm. of like you talking about your conserving your um, energy for a show and um, wow. your and how you prepare in that way and then Lavoie being the opposite of being like just wanting loads of um, loads of people around her and having lots of energy in the room before she goes on um, and, and you two are both performers who I highly admire um, and it's really just it's nice to hear that as there isn't a right way of going about it or it's about just what what is right for you and discovering that over over years and it's and about our experience and you just get it from doing it over and over
0: yeah and i think in last week's episode when i was talking to rob mallard who who is one of the stars of coronation street we touched on something a bit similar that difference between an extroverted sort of personality and an introverted one because i would have always assumed growing up certainly for for many years consider myself to be extroverted and i am in many ways although i don't know how useful the terms extroverted and introverted actually are nowadays but i have learned and have observed recently that i do find performing and being a performer and even just being somebody who people know i find that it it I, i feel quite fatigued by having to be on so the time before a show for me is ideally time where i don't have to interact with anyone, especially on like a Saturday where I'm doing brunch shows, Saturdays, I usually have two shows, sometimes three. And it's like Mm. I don't even want I don't even want to see anyone like or do you know what I mean? I literally want to be in a bunker, Um, especially during the process of the
2: makeup.
0: Yeah, once the makeup's done, i'm kind of fine but there's such a painstaking and i find makeup quite boring it's not a part of the job i'm interested in um but it's like you know it's once i got through that part then i can start you know being ready to be friendly yeah
2: i find the makeup process really important because um it's the point i certain things will come on or it'll be like um certain part of the makeup will go on and then I'll be like oh I'm feeling absolutely gorgeous and that's the- <laughs> oh my god I've done it again I'm the most stunning woman in the world and it's- <laughs> <laughs> and it's those moments that that then you start, for me, I start finding, they're like, oh, it's going to be good. Oh, I'm going to be amazing. Oh, I look absolutely gorgeous. And it, it's, it's that for me gets gets me and puts me in the place, especially if I'm in a dressing room with other people, um, because I'll just be like, vanity, how does it feel? How does it feel to be this close to the most beautiful woman on earth? I mean, <laughs> and so, yeah. like and I just, and then I I, I suppose similarly to Lavoie, I find having that bit of like conversation with a with someone else um, can help put me in the um, in the right frame of mind to start doing the quips that you need on stage. And um, actually, if going in, if I just walked into a room completely cold, um, I don't I, I don't I don't like it as much. Whereas if I feel like I've had a bit yeah. of a warm up with a pal backstage or something, um, I feel a bit more
0: in a position ready to do a show. It brings out the playfulness, right? Mm, yeah. It's funny because one thing that I've noticed is that invariably, so I, my preference before a show is to not be seen by the, because in the, some of the venues we do, um, you know, it's not a th- it's not always a theatre setting. It's like just a bar and in the bar, you're at the bar chatting to people beforehand. And yeah. my preference is not for that because I quite like to make an entrance and the entrance is during the song and they hear my voice first and then I come mm-hmm. out and I'm a diva and all that. But um, invariably, if I have had a chat to the audience beforehand, it does actually put me in like a fabulous mood. But I still don't like it. I still want to avoid it. Yeah, I still want to avoid it, even though I know it does warm me up quite nicely. And and almost takes away, not that I get nervous as such, but it takes away the invisible barrier between me and the audience. Um, yeah. I found well, it there's much how to how uh... about. Oh, sorry I was just going to oh, go
2: on, go on Steph. What, one more moment um of my stardom Uh, just found it <laughs> interesting you were saying that you get a bit embarrassed during like clapping at the end sometimes yeah um where for me I've always I think one of the things I well, that I got instilled from me early on is that tr- uh, I think it's a diva thing of when you get applause stand if you stand there and properly accept it people that that's a way of that's a divadom thing it's a thing of showing that like present of class and being and being like being present. i found so for you i consider you to be a diva so to hear you say that you find it a bit embarrassing and you have to make yourself count i I just found that yeah that that, that surprised me
0: yeah and funnily enough since recording the conversation with the lavoire because we've had that one recorded a few weeks ago after, Because that's probably the first time I'd ever said that out loud to anyone. And it's not something that I'd even really given thought to consciously before, other than that I am, I'm aware that I try and count myself to stay on. I have been even more aware of it in the past few weeks and have stood quite deliberately um, and tried to extend that, that even more. Um, and it's one of the great things about talking to other performers about the process of the work is that sometimes it highlights to you little areas for your own personal improvement or that you'd like to improve oh, for God. yourself you know Listening what i mean you in um, talk,
2: i was like yeah i can do this notes note like
0: well that's it like we work so you know it's gig to gig to gig to gig um yeah. and um i do i do make a conscious practice of trying to work out where it is for improvement i watch myself back a lot actually um and i'm also very critical of my own vocal performance so it's quite um it's quite nice to then just connect those thoughts to another person and then gives you new 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 areas of pers- new areas new perspectives from which to see your work t- in order to keep yeah. getting better so that one day you conquer the world
2: absolutely and we shall conquer it together i'm sure you be in Lavoir.
0: yes that's right you can be tooting away and um <laughs> yeah. you could be on the piano Did you watch the- did you watch Queen of the Universe? I, I know it hasn't aired in the UK if, in, in, via the proper channels yet so I'm waiting until it's on TV here.
2: I may have sneakily watched a couple of episodes um, that's um, through, through the powers of the internet um, and it's very enjoyable, really fun, it's um, really just fabulous to see drag queens singing um, and the vocal talents on the show are really like impressive. Um, it, it feels like they've tried to put, put in a bit too much into the time frame they have, because I think it's only about six episodes and they start with 14 drag queens. Um, so it, it sometimes feels a little bit rushed whereas I wanted it to feel a little bit more like the early days of the X Factor. Mm-hmm. Um, where I don't know, they just got a bit more time to sing, and you maybe got a bit more. Um, maybe they given a bit of coaching or something like that, or um, and stuff like this. But overall, really, really enjoyable to watch, um, and the talent on it is really, really something.
0: Well, listeners at home, you can watch the Queen of the Universe. I'm told when it airs, I think in the next few months. Here, they're just waiting to first launch. The streaming service paramount plus globally there of course you can see my guest lavoie and you can see my guest snow white trash tooting her horn about the gay venues of the uk and um, don't forget to take a look at both of their social medias and if you're enjoying the vanity project please do share us around your social group so that more people listen and that we can increase our uh, our reach um thank you so much snow for being with us today
2: Thank you for having me.
0: And thank you listeners for joining us for The Vanity Project.